0: Hey Northridge, welcome to A Little Better, where our goal is to know God better and to do better so that we can be a little better. Well, hey everyone, welcome back to A Little Better. We're so glad that you are with us today on the podcast and whether you are watching or you are listening, it's an honor to have you with us. Thanks for joining back in and this week. We have a guest with us, our communicator from this past weekend, and it is Matt Snyder, whose title at the Henrietta campus should just be vice president, but I actually don't know what it is. So let's have Matt, you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us what you do at the Henrietta campus other than yeah. keep me in line.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm Matt Snyder. I'm the vice president of the Henrietta campus. Uh No, my official title is Service Programming Director, which is something that Aaron and I basically made up uh, because it (laughs) sounded cool. Basically, if it happens in the auditorium on a Sunday, it goes through me is the quickest way to describe that.
0: That is very accurate. And um, I'm very grateful that you're the person in charge of it because of your very diverse skill set related to all things service related. Um, From, if you don't know Matt, you might not know that not only does he shred the guitar and sing he's also very technologically gifted which means if it breaks uh, in the auditorium he'll know how to fix it so that's awesome which is what you need especially when you're portable
1: (laughs) try try at least right
0: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah thank you for uh teaching this past weekend um well i don't know it's weird to say weekend because although of course it happens on sundays in terms of when we press play it's really thanks for teaching on wednesday of last week.
1: yeah it's like a weird like wormhole thing going on it's
0: exactly but we don't have to do that much longer because we are coming up on reopen so next sunday uh august the 9th i'm trying to get all my dates right based on our recording here but um next sunday august 9th is hey am i saying is it next sunday dude i'm losing my mind right now yeah no uh no two sundays yeah, two Tuesday. Sundays. Yeah. Whatever yeah. you mean by next. It's not, it's, not, it's not August yet, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, It's not August. So not August the 2nd, August the 9th. Looking forward to when we will be reopening. However, as we're finding out with all of this craziness with our movie theaters, we're going to be reopening at two campuses. So mm-hmm. our campus, Matt, we're going to be coming together as well as Greece, joining in with Rochester and Webster at the two buildings that we actually own mm-hmm. <laughs> that we can be a part of. Uh, we're looking forward to that. Henrietta is going to be kind of you know dispersing our staff between both Rochester and Webster, knowing that uh, we've got people who will go to both. And then Greece is going to be kind of, you know, getting pulled into Rochester and, and being all there. So I think it'll be uh, a fun way to bring everybody together for those who are able to come, do the mask thing, do the social distancing thing. I think it'll be a, a good time to hopefully begin the process of rejoining. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, you, you no longer are the vice president of Henrietta, if you like, if you're at Webster, how does your vice presidency transfer? Is it an elected position there? How does it work? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd have to ask Nate Miller. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad comparing you to the vice president now, though, because honestly, the vice president doesn't have a lot of power or doesn't really do much <laughs> except for campaign for the president. So uh, I, that's I didn't don't mean to make your role impotent. Anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, you know, we've made the decision where we're not going to be reopening our portables until the first weekend in October, which is October the 4th, which is, it feels like a long time away, but at the same time, we know that there's just been so many changes and things that have been up and down that we feel like putting a date in the sand to say no sooner than this will really help our people from Greece and and Web- and Greece and Henrietta to really be able to engage with our two campuses that are going to be open right now. So hopefully that's the the right call. But like with all of this, We asked for grace and we're just asking for wisdom too, (laughs) because there's a lot that we're all making up right now. But Mm -hmm. anyway, Matt, we've talked about this before. You and I are both from the state of Ohio, but that is not where our similarities end. We work together on a daily basis, but we had like parallel lives. Hit hit the people with some of the things that we our lives are the same.
1: <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, so, <laughs> it, this is, it gets worse every time I think about this. Like, it's terrifying. Mm. We, we both grew up in Ohio. Then we both went to college at the same college. Uh, while we were in college, we both basically did the exact same things, including getting on the exact same traveling admissions team that did music. Never at the, never at the same time for any of this. Like we (laughs) we were just
0: two years apart.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Before, before I got hired here, like we had had like maybe three conversations together, but like literally did all the exact same things. We both went to seminary at the same seminary. Yeah. It's so way too many things to have in common with another person.
0: Yeah. TAing, graduating college in three years instead of four, going to the same school, interning at Northridge as part of our seminary degrees. it was It's very freakishly parallel. Yeah, um, It's yep. very strange. But anyway, the point is, we're both from Ohio, which means that neither of us can see our families right now because it's a restricted state. But yeah. what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, so you got the chance to speak um, in this Churchburg series, which I'm very grateful for. I always love hearing you teach. Whether or not people know it, you have a lot of influence on teaching stuff that happens. Cause I get to work with Drew with teaching and most of the things that I'm processing in terms of writing, I'm usually going like, yo, Matt, I'm trying to say this, right? How do I say it? And you've got such a unique ability to do that. Well, so I always love getting to hear you say your own stuff rather than influencing <laughs> all the other stuff we say. But, um, yeah. So why did you decide to land on Galatians? What made you pick that passage? Uh, what stood out to you about this one another?
1: Yeah, um, it's a passage that I've dealt with a lot in a lot of different other things. Um, I kind of was dealing with the first five verses here um, later on in the chapter is a passage about sowing and reaping, which is another thing that I've, I've taught on with NYM and and some other places before. So it's a passage I'm really familiar with. Um, it's actually a funny story. Uh, I don't have the Bible with me here, but one of my, the Bible that I used in high school had like a hole in the page on Galatians six and like half the words weren't there. So it was always, (laughs) kind of held a special place in my heart there because it took me to like college to learn what those words actually were. Um, I yeah, to so, Google it. <laughs> yeah, so just as we were, as we were talking through all of the one another commands and all of, you know, there's hundreds of them in the Bible. And so like, which ones are we actually going to talk through? That one just stood out. Cause it's a passage that I'm really familiar with that. I it's, it's had an impact on me. So it just felt like a natural thing for me to just jump in and talk
0: about. Awesome. Cool. And we'll talk more about this later, but, um, because of the way that our process of writing sermons and pre-preaching them and all that overlaps, um, we, you and I both ended up picking things that are very similar. You, Graham, then you, then me three weeks in a row. Graham was all about, um, you know, how do we handle things basically if we sin and then your week was, what do you do if somebody around you sin and your, you end with, you know, a default of compassion and, how we shouldn't be judgmental and those kind of things, which really ties back to Mark. And then my week, which is going to be happening this weekend is all about empathy. So it's like, we, we all ended up having pretty interconnected topics, none of which were planned. Right. Not to say we don't do any planning, but we didn't plan it like that. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's it's almost like all the one and other commands are just like be nice to each other. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that, there's a sense in which that's
0: true. Yeah. Because right. I mean, Jesus talks about how, you know, loving one another is really the defining feature of Christianity. And Paul in many ways was just working out the single ethic of the command, love God and love others Mm -hmm. just in a thousand different categories. So you can put a lot of different words on it, but at the end of the day, you're right. There's going to be a ton of overlap, but, um, yeah, talk to me about why you would choose something related to compassion when as we've gotten to know each other, you've admitted that is probably not just like me. That's probably not your first reaction to things <laughs> is compassion. So talk to me about why you would want to preach on it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm definitely a skeptical guy. Like I'm not by any means like a bleeding heart or anything like that. I, I It takes a lot of work for me to feel connected to someone else's pain. Um so, and I, th- I think what that just means is like, the reality is, is these are things that are in the Bible and they're things that are commanded. And if I'm going to live the way that I'm supposed to, it means I'm going to have to do some work on these because I think we all have things in our spiritual life that come naturally to us and some things that don't. And this is one of the things that don't, which just means that I have to find myself spending time on it in order to be good at it. There are other things that the Bible commands that, that, someone else might have to work on a lot that maybe come more naturally to me. But this is definitely one of those things that I have to bump up against a lot because unless I'm thinking through it and like actually trying to, to get better at it, it just doesn't happen.
0: Sure. That's a really good perspective. I would, I think we all have our areas as you said. Um, and what I like about this one is it's, There are other ways that, you know, you and I probably both struggle that are more obvious. What I love is that this is the kind of thing that you've got to be reading the scriptures carefully to even realize that you're bad at (laughs) because, um, whether or not you have an immediate empathetic reaction to people who are struggling with sin, it's probably not like if somebody had to list their top five weaknesses, that probably doesn't hit the list most of the time, but it actually is, could be a substantial weakness that they just don't even realize is there. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a few things about the passage that I think don't aren't obvious that I loved how you explained Uh, the two that stuck out to me were you said, if anyone is stuck or caught in sin, which as you mentioned, could mean caught, like, ha, gotcha, you're caught. Um, And you clarify that that's not what it means. And then later on you distinguish between loads and burdens and made some really insightful points about the difference between those two. So one, talk to me about how you came to know that that was what those meant. And then how we can, you know, you have the advantage of having gone to seminary, you have got an MDiv, you've studied Greek, et cetera. But, um, how did you come to know those nuances? And then how could I, other random person come to know those same things about a past, any passage in the Bible?
1: Yeah. So first off, like, I don't, start off by like reading things in greek like i think my my seminary professors are probably disappointed to hear that but like i I don't
0: let's not tell them about this podcast
1: (laughs) perfect Uh because i don't
0: either we have the same process. let's not tell yeah um
1: i i don't start there so it's not like i'm finding these things in greek and then bringing them back into english basically what i'm doing is as i'm reading through a passage if something doesn't make sense or feels like it doesn't fit in that's usually an indication that there's something going on there. And so like, for example, with his burdens and loads, I talked about, there's a difference between those and because it seems like there's two different things going on in verse two, Paul says to carry each other's burdens. And then in verse five, he says that everyone should carry their own load. And if you're just reading through the passage that hits you immediately is like, wait, wait, wait a second. Those, we literally just said the other thing three verses ago. It's usually Mm -hmm. a good indicator that there's something going on. And so what I typically will do is start by just reading uh, more on either side Um, because a lot of times those things are solvable by going back to the original language, but that's not the only way you can figure it out. A lot of times Mm -hmm. if you just maybe go back a chapter or another chapter on the other end and just read, you know, a good chunk of verses on either side, you can kind of start to piece together and make sense of what's going on there. Um so I think that that would be something I'd encourage other people to do. Like you you really don't need to know Greek to to get really good Bible study done. Mm-hmm. Um most everything you can figure out just from the context that it's in because Gr- Greek's sure. not this like magical language. Um, where like every word has like a hidden meaning or anything. It's just like English. You know, we have words that mean different things depending on the context they show up in. And it's the exact same way. So if you just read a couple verses on either side, you can usually get a pretty good idea of what's going on there. And then even just referencing with other things, you know, to be true in the Bible, um, that's kind of like stuck um, that there. if, If you, if you put, stuck is in haha i caught you anyone's caught in a sin if you make it i caught you in a sin and just read through it the, the rest of the passage doesn't really make a ton of sense
0: mm. it's
1: like pretty clear that someone is in a situation that they weren't trying to get themselves into it's not like they're just rebelling and mm. i'm trying to like convince them they're wrong it's it's pretty clearly like they don't want to be in the situation either mm. so i think it's one of those things that if you just read the context and and zoom out a little bit, you can usually figure it out. And then if you're still stuck after that, um, most study Bibles and, and Bible commentaries that, that you can get, um, online from the library, you can Google, um, they'll usually do a good job of explaining it too. You definitely don't have to dig into the Greek. It, 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 it's helpful. I'm not going to lie. Like there are things that, that can come out from that, but, Almost always, those kind of things you can find just by doing some research and reading.
0: Mm-hmm. That's so much good advice in there, and I think you. One of the things that I super agree with is the study Bible thing. If if there's an apparent contradiction, for instance, carry each other's burdens, carry your own load. That is an apparent contradiction inside of the text that you don't have to be a scholar to have realized you just have to read all of those verses in a row and go wait and like think for two seconds you'll go wait that doesn't seem right which is why that's the kind of tension that a study bible is going to be addressing it's not going to address every tension in the text because there's a lot going on in behind the scenes in galatians that a technical commentary is going to dig into like that you would never, just by reading Galatians, you would never know that there are tensions, that there are a lot of them related to the book of Galatians. It's a pretty controversial book about, you know, the subject over the object of genitive in, you know, <laughs> early in chapter one. You know what I mean? Like there's all kinds of things that you don't, appa- you don't read just by looking at it. And that's where deep commentaries can really be helpful. In apparent contradictions, things like study Bibles usually have the answer Mm -hmm. And like you said, just by reading your English Bible and even maybe laying a couple translations next to each other, you'll get the sense because translators are doing their best to use the same word whenever possible. So the the switch from burdens to loads in that case, don't read that as an accident. That's an intentional choice by the translator to go, hey, there's something going on here that if you would know Greek, you would know that this is obvious. We're trying to make it obvious in English by using two different words. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. That's
1: important. Like the guy's translating your Bible that were took it from Greek and put it into English. Like they're doing that because they want you to be able to understand it. So chances are the way they do it is going to make it so that you can figure it out. If you're willing to put a little bit of legwork in on it, you know, they're not trying to trip you up. I promise.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's really good. Um, So, yeah, I I loved your distinction. Birds and loads that I mean, birds and (laughs) loads, burdens and loads, man. Well, apparently I needed a cup of coffee this afternoon, but um, that was a helpful distinction. However, it brought up one tension for me that was something that you hinted at, but I don't know that, you know, we could have ever resolved all the tensions. Um, you talk about how we need to default to compassion. It's not our job to assign, to, to differentiate for people, whether that's a burden or a load. You know, that's not our job. We need to default. I loved all that. But as... If someone were to do what you said, default to compassion in their relationships and believe that people do need help and that kind of thing, um, how do I avoid becoming a doormat? Because as somebody who doesn't default to compassion, one of the reasons that I might not default to compassion is because I'm doing the slippery slope argument in my head. Mm. Well, if I give them an inch, they'll take a mile. If you right. give a mouse a cookie or you know, teach a man to fish versus give a man a fish. You know what I mean? It's like all these things in the back of my head that are truisms that would actually make me default to um giving truth not grace. So how do I be a boy becoming a doormat? Fix me. Is what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a good question and I th- I think that's a good place to be first off, right? Like there there's a reality that helping people requires things of us. You know, it's if if this didn't have any kind of consequence to it, it, it wouldn't be difficult, you know. Sure, um, but I do think that question becomes easier to answer the closer of a relationship you have with the person you're interacting with. Like mm. if it's somebody that I that I work with that I don't see very often, that all of a sudden has a need, it, it's a lot harder for me to be able to diagnose what the best way to help is because mm. we all want long term what's best for the person. And sometimes that means doing things that look different than maybe you would do in the short term. Um, sure. But if you've got a relationship with the person, I think it starts to become apparent where those lines are. It doesn't mean it's easy, but I do think the more of a relationship you've got, with that person, the easier it becomes to see where that line is. You know, if it's mm-hmm. someone that you're close to or in your family or that you've really invested time in and, and put some time in playing a long game here, you know,
0: mm-hmm. I want to see
1: what's best for you, even if it takes a couple months rather than whatever this immediate thing is, those will start to kind of work themselves out. I don't know if there's a really great one-to-one like, well, if it's this kind of thing, then you should do sure. this kind of thing but as you invest in that relationship i think it starts to just become a little bit easier and a little clearer and even harder easier to make the hard decisions sure. when the time does come to say look we can't help you in this way we need to do something different that relationship makes that conversation a little bit easier our outreach team at Northridge has to wade through these issues all the time. Um, Josh Horn, Michelle Garinger, they're probably the people to talk to about that specifically because they, they have to live this both as a part of their job, but also just they're both so good at this in their own personal lives. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but that relationship is, is key. If we're, it's really hard to help outside of the context of relationship. Like we can do some, some drive by kind of stuff, but at the end of the day it's the relationship and the connection with people that is what helps in the situation. And it's also what gives us the resources we need to, to navigate the tricky decisions of like how much, how much is too much? When do I need to stop? When do we need to try a different thing?
0: Those Mm -hmm. all become
1: clearer when you're in that
0: relationship. Sure. That's really helpful. The, the difference, too, between material health and spiritual health makes a difference. Is this person caught in a sin issue that results in material poverty, or are they stuck in material poverty but have a different spiritual need? You know what I mean? Like, all of those things are, are hard that we have to discern, but as you say, relationship is the key. I think of even the biblical examples of Priscilla and Aquila with Apollos. He's got a missing piece of doctrine, which isn't a sin issue per se, but he definitely was preaching a wrong gospel. They pull him aside privately and have the conversation and instruct him mm-hmm. in the truth. As opposed to Paul, when he confronts Peter in Galatians, he even talks about it. And Peter had gone back on had the fact that he was eating with Gentiles and had gone back to only eating with Jews. And Peter, Paul's like, no. <laughs> and he confronts him publicly about his sin. And like, how do you know which is the right way to go? Well, apparently they knew each other well enough to say, when, when Peter's stuck in a sin, He's, he's outspoken. He's loud enough. You got to get right in that man's face. But so something with Apollos, they felt like it was best to pull him aside. And in some ways, we should be concerned that we don't over grace people. But I would suspect that the average Christian isn't on the threshold of over gracing the people in their life that are stuck with sin. (laughs) Like, I know I'm not, I'm not like always teetering on the edge of being an enabler of sin. I'm usually on the other end of like not giving nearly enough grace, not giving nearly enough time for people to differentiate between their burdens and loads. And if the worst possible thing that happens is that for a season, I carry as a burden, something that ought to be a load. I don't know if that's the worst thing that could ever happen to the person. For a season. Did I say that right? Did I use the right words?
1: No, I think that makes sense. Like it's, we obviously want to do this right, but it's probably better to err on the side of being too compassionate than Mm. being too
0: much of a jerk. (laughs) Sure. And certainly if you look at the track record of, church history, and I'll just use, you know, the last 60 years in America or something. I don't know that American evangelical Christianity has been known for like, you know what they always do? They're always erring on the side of grace and it drives uh-huh. me crazy, right? Like our stripe of Christianity has been known usually for being on the other, on the wrong side of that. So I think that's why your message was such a helpful um, counterpoint is just as a reminder of, you know, how we're supposed to handle this stuff. If it's too heavy for you, then I'll carry it too. And we need to find ways to see more needs, um, and then default to compassion on them. Um, yeah, I think that's all really good. Uh, I don't, I don't know that I have a ton more specific questions other than, you know, if there's anything else you'd like to add and, and continue on with your message, I'd be happy to hear from you on it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I have a ton. I think, I think the biggest thing is just that you know yourself, right? Like I think hmm. there are people out there, who they're wired in such a way where compassion comes easy to them. And I think that's going to come with a different set of safeguards that they need to put up. And there are people who are more like me who don't get compassionate easily. And that's going to require a couple of things. So like for me, the question of how do I make sure I don't become a doormat? Like I got a long way before I really hit that. If I'm honest with myself, that might be more of a reality for other people and they need to have hard questions about when do I stop? When sure. when when is my involvement creating dependency or or causing more problems down the
0: road? Taking be the place of Jesus in their life, you know, right. they don't have to depend Would on it, Jesus; they depend on me.
1: Right. So I think everybody kind of knows where they sit on this, whether or not you want to admit it. I think we all kind of intrinsically know where we're at. Mm, sure. And just being willing to be honest with yourself and and take the steps that
0: you need to 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 help in the right way. Mm. That's really good. Thank you for that. And I'm looking forward to seeing how Graham's message on confession, your message on spiritual restoration, my message on empathy, Mark's message on judgment, all tied up with the fact that Nate Miller's message was about encouragement. I think if we put all those together, hopefully after this next weekend, our people and, and us as pastors would see a vision of our church, that the New Testament clearly outlines that would be one that's irresistible. In a season when attending church has its perils or its confusions or frustrations, I hope that the culture of our church can be one that lives out these 101, one hundred one one-another commands well enough that people want to be part of it, even if being part of it just means, you know, coming to a cookout at my house with my small group or something. And it doesn't even mean coming to church. I hope that we live out all those other things so well that we become a place that's irresistible. So Matt, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to uh, working together to make two campuses instead of four happen. Thanks for all your efforts. And hopefully I get to hear from you again soon on the teaching platform. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for taking the time, Matt.
1: See ya.